Hello out there, you lovely people in pandemic land. How the hell is it going? This is Jim. I am coming to you from outside a Barnes & Noble, sitting in my car, uh, just, yeah, deciding to do an episode of this podcast. I have some very, very, very interesting vocal tics that only happen when I'm, I'm recording this thing. Like I don't usually talk this way. don't know why that is. I don't know what's different about this. In any case... Uh, my name is Jim, for those of you who don't know me, and I do this podcast because of the pandemic, because of coronavirus, because I don't get out much these days like a lot of us, and so turning on this thing and just letting myself go, stream of consciousness, whatever comes out, is a pretty good way of keeping myself sane, so that is what I am doing. How the hell's it going out there? Audio. This is a one-way conversation. I don't know why I ask, but I'm doing just fine. It's been a good week. It was a productive week of work. I learned a lot and got some reading done. Watched a little bit of television. You know, the huge. Is that one of those pretentious things that people say, like like cash? People say huge at a thing. I finally unpacked, like, so I, I've been back with my parents for maybe three months now. Uh, moved back to the Detroit area from where I was living in San Francisco. Figured it was time to, if I was going to hole up for the winter, I might as well hole up with family. And finally, after three months, last night I unpacked my Nintendo Switch started playing some games on it. Uh, I played Overcooked. For those of you who've never played Overcooked, it's kind of a puzzle game. Sort of. I guess not really. Basically, the, the premise is you're, you're running a kitchen and you need to prepare food and serve it. So it, it all takes place in a kitchen. There are ingredients. You have to take them to a cutting board, chop them up, throw them in a pot, cook them, put them on a plate, and put it on a conveyor belt that takes it out somewhere. Presumably there's a restaurant behind all of this. So basically it's making food in a kitchen in a video game, which sounds pretty ridiculous. I, I Somebody explained it to me. Somebody at my last job a few years ago said he wanted to bring it in. We could all play it as a team. I thought it sounded kind of ridiculous. Like if you're going to play around and make food, why not do it for real? You know, I don't understand video games that are just like... I played a virtual reality rig that somebody I knew I had just met about four years ago had in, in their in their bedroom. And he had me play like the demo game, which was like you're, you're a clerk in a convenience store and you're like scanning things on a register. So you tally up stuff and then... I think you bagged it up or something. It was interesting because you're doing it with your hands and your hands are holding these controls. How do the controls go? Yeah, you had to like pull a trigger to pick something up, You'd scan it. And I was like, why would you play a video game where you're just doing something that people do in, in real life? I don't get it. Anyway, he did bring in Overcooked, this coworker of mine. He brought it in, sat down, tried it. It actually was a lot of fun. It's it's a good it's a good game. Uh, I think I, you can at least two people can play it. 
I mean, you can play it by yourself. It's harder, but uh, it's a good, uh, you know, two-person game. It's cartoony. If you're into video games, I'd recommend you, you check it out. But I played a little bit of that. My dad was fascinated. He watched me play some rounds of that, and I haven't played it in a couple of years, so I absolutely, I absolutely sucked. When I did play it a couple years ago, I was actually dating a girl who was trying to get me to cook with her. And I, I'm really not big on spending a lot of time on food. When it comes to food, I'm pretty basic, All right? You can just, I wake up every morning, steam some vegetables, eat those, maybe have oatmeal, oatmeal and peanut butter. Uh, midday, I'll have some, you know, salmon, some smoked salmon. I just stock up on that. And for dinner, it's whatever, whatever I can scrape together. I don't care. Like there's diminishing returns for me as far as food goes. I could spend a lot of time and effort and acquire some new skills and new gear to make really good food. It's not worth the trouble to me. Food's uh, a lot of, food's important to a lot of people. There are a lot of people who are foodies. I'm, I don't know what an A foodie is, like somebody who just is indifferent to food. That's more or less what I am. But so this, this girl I was dating wanted me to help her cook. Uh, she wanted it to be a, like a, a team activity, her and I, and I was really not into it. And around this time, the coworker gets me into this, this game where you're preparing food in a kitchen. And I really liked it. And I was like, well, okay, I want to play this with you. So I, I tried to get her to play with me. And she's like, you, you won't cook real food with me if you want me to play this damn video game where you're like preparing food it's like yes i know <laughs> i get it i get it and like trust me the, the me three weeks ago before i saw this game probably would have thought i was just as ridiculous as you do now but my dad was enjoying watching me play that um it was after dinner and you know every most nights after dinner it's usually the same routine my mom and my dad go out and turn on the tv and they they try to find something to watch together their tastes don't really overlap much, so it ends up being two hours of browsing around for something to watch, interspersed maybe with five or ten minutes of, of trying things here and there, and they decide that they, you know, one of them isn't interested, so they try and find something else. It's just the same, same routine. It's just the same pattern that happens every single night. You know, usually they just end up watching Seinfeld or, you know, some, some reliable sitcom that they both agree on, but they, they've probably seen way too many times. So I was like, okay, I'm going to hook up the Nintendo Switch to the TV, and I'm going to try playing some video games. And it could be that they come along and say, get out of our living room with your young person's console games, your Nintendo. we got to watch some TV, or at least try to find something to watch. But no, my dad actually sat there and watched me play Overcooked for a while. And then I kind of, I was pretty terrible at that because it's been a long time since I played it. So, you know, after 45 minutes of humiliating myself playing that, I switched over to Mario Kart. And he really liked Mario Kart. He watched me play that. I did a couple of Grand Prix um, on the harder setting. And he seemed really interested in it. So I said, like, hey, you know, why don't you give this a try? You know, I, I said, I'll just, you can just play on a racetrack 
by yourself. It won't be like a Grand Prix where there's a bunch of other characters throwing shells at you that are blowing things up. And I think that might be a little bit too confusing for him at this point, a little bit too overwhelming. So I was like, how about you just put you on a simple track, goes around in something of a circle, and you can just race for time, you know, just get a feel for the game. And so he did that for, I don't even know how long. He was still playing when I went to bed at 11, and we started probably at 7. And we took turns, but it was mostly him just playing. Like, he he just played the first level, whatever the first level is. On the, on the Switch, Mario Kart 8, uh, whatever the first level is, he was on that. He just played that as a time trial. I don't know how many times, just over and over again. He kept retrying, trying to get better. Uh, at some point I said, do you want to try a different course? And he was like, no, no, I'm good with this one. And he just kept playing the same one. And I was, I was just fine with it. I was happy as a clam sitting there watching him because he's, he usually doesn't get engaged in stuff like that. You know, he does his jigsaw puzzles and he's really engaged in those. But outside of that, it's just like, well, let's watch some TV or, you know, he's, he's usually kind of bumming around, not really sure what to do with himself. The fact that he would sit there for hours and just play you know, loop around on these tracks on Mario Kart. That was great. You know, there were 48 levels to that thing. I mean, he he ate up an entire evening just playing one level. That's possibly several months worth of entertainment we have uh, going. I kind of wonder how far he can go. Like, him just on a racetrack, trying to learn the handling, like getting the handle of the controls, you know, trying to beat his own time. I think he can handle that. I don't know if he could handle, like, what is it, battle mode? Is that what it's called? Where they, you get into an arena with other players and you're going around picking up boxes full of mystery items, and sometimes they're shells. And, like, the red shells are, like, honing missiles, and the green shells are untargeted, not honing missiles. You, you launch another player, you try and hit them three times, and you score that way. You're basically battling each other in some kind of arena. That might be a little bit too complicated and subtle of an idea like explaining what the different items are you know what the objective is i think that might be a little bit too overwhelming so i I don't know if he'll be able to do that i don't know if he'll be able to do a grand prix it's like it's very it's very noisy it's very loud when things are just complicated there's a lot of moving parts to them he can get overwhelmed very very easily and that's something you try to avoid so i i don't know how far to push it and I'm trying to be careful. I'm trying to titrate even the tips that I give him when he's doing his solo races. You know, I'm saying, like, you, you can try this little trick, you know, work it into your repertoire. But I'm trying to not tell him everything at once, you know, just sort of ease him into it. But yeah, so Mario Kart is going on. That's, uh, that's, I realized I've been playing that game for 25 years. Like, I, started playing that on Super Nintendo and I've I've acquired I think three Nintendo consoles in my lifetime only for that game. I didn't buy a GameCube but I did get an N6 I think I got an N64 at some point just for Mario Kart. I got a Wii just for Mario Kart and Switches I I'd like to think there are other reasons I got a Switch, but I think Mario Kart's basically it. 
it's really one of the only games I have. I tried to play Doom. I got Doom about a year ago. I uh, couldn't get into that one. I ended up giving that one to my brother. And I like that because when I, when I gave my brother the game, I was like, here's Doom on a cartridge, you know, in, in, a, in the box. I was like, I, I just, I didn't like this game. I played it for like 10 minutes. And he, he was like, did you play it on the hardest setting or what? I was like, no, no, I just, I just didn't get into it. Like, what's the thought process there? Is he saying that he thinks I played it on the hardest setting for 10 minutes? And I was like, this sucks, man. I can't beat it. It's too hard. Is that really who he thinks I am? I have no idea. I just can't. Like, the first-person shooter games are, are difficult for me to get into. Like, I somehow got into Halo. I do remember I bought an Xbox in college because I wanted to join the DVD revolution. At the time, like, I think my parents' house was still full of VHSs. And I was like, it's time to upgrade. These things degrade. I, I want to, if I'm going to be buying movies, I don't want to be buying VHSs. And I don't want to invest in a VCR. So I'll just get a an Xbox. Primarily for its DVD player. But I, I did get Halo as well. And I really liked Halo. I... That's, I think, maybe one of the few games in my life, maybe the only one outside of Mario Kart, that I've actually beat. Like, I went through it, I went through all the levels on the hardest setting and persevered. Whenever I hit a difficult point, I just kept at it. Yeah, I forgot about that. I've actually beaten a game. I get Mario Kart. Mario Kart's a real game, I guess, but I think... Halo's in a different class. Mario Kart seems... All the Nintendo games seem kind of silly. They seem kind of cartoony to me. But I'm, I'm thinking now, like, if video games are a thing that uh, will keep my dad engaged, and he'll, he'll enjoy playing them, I wonder if there are any other good ones, like puzzle ones. Uh, Lemmings was always a good puzzle game. Uh, for those of you who haven't played Lemmings, Lemmings is a good one. I'd recommend you check it out. It's... Basically, every level is kind of designed a certain way, and the, the, the motif on every level is always the same. This trapdoor opens up, and these lemmings start falling out, and they just walk. Uh, they just walk mindlessly, whatever direction they are going in, they walk. If they hit a wall, they turn around and walk the other way. And your goal is to get them to a door. Like so, there's there's a beginning and an end, and you have to. You have to direct them. What you can do is you can tell them, you can give them tasks. So you can make one a stair builder who will just start pulling bricks out of nowhere and building stairs that they'll walk up. Or you can make them diggers. They'll dig straight down. Or you can make bashers. You can bash through walls. And so the goal is to navigate these mindlessly just walking rodents to the end. It's a good concept for a game. Uh, my dad really got into that. I think that might be one of the reasons we got into, what is it, a Super Nintendo? He wasn't really much for video games. Like He was always very one of those, one of those parents who just sort of scoffs, like, oh, video games are a waste of time. You know, do something useful with your life. But he got into Lemmings. Yeah, he would, he would sit down and play Lemmings for hours. You know, you'd go to the top of the stairs and you Listen, you hear those the lemming noises. That corny little, you know, 
Super Nintendo music, the lemming noises. But I kind of wonder if there's any games that he might like to play of that kind of caliber. Seems like any game that comes out, I like something like Mario Party. Mario Party might be a good one. Like that, that's the one with all the mini games, right? Like you're moving around on a board and you just sort of play each other. The thing is, like all these games are so visually complex, and it, it's nothing simple anymore. It's like you don't just play. There's like a bunch of rules. There's like a plot that you have to follow. Uh, things are things are more complicated than they have to be. I personally, if if I'm going to play a video game, like if I had to play like the whole idea well, if you if you're stuck on an island you can only take one book that sort of question if it was like i'm on an island i can only take one video game for the rest of my life probably tetris or pac-man something that's a very very simple concept very simple in its implementation it doesn't need a whole lot of gpu accelerated software powering the damn thing that's that's what I would go for. Something simple. Simple, simple puzzle games. Those are surprisingly hard to come up with, at least original ones. If I ever got into video games, that's what I'd like to, to design, is something simple. Like Snake. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I once bought a video game called Time Splitters 2 for the Xbox. It's like a first-person shooter. I had a, a fair amount of fun playing that. Uh, I remember going, I think I, I remember walking to Meyer in the dead of winter, like three miles down the road from where I was going to college to buy that damn thing. And I took it home and it was totally worth it. It was fun. But I, I noticed that you're throughout the game, you're running around with this gun that shoots like lasers or something. And it has a little screen on it that gives you information. And you, what you can do is that you could, what could you do? I think it was like if you pause the game, you'd basically be looking at your gun, like at the screen on this little gun. And you could go into a mode somehow. It was pretty easy to find. It wasn't like an Easter egg where you'd play the snake game, uh, on, on the, on the gun. The snake is moving around, you have to eat the pieces, you get longer, and you have to avoid hitting yourself and the walls. I think I played that snake game for more collective hours than I did the actual Time Splitters game itself. It's like I paid $60 to be able to mostly play this fancy snake game. I just like those simple games. What else is there? I was really impressed with Wii Sports. I really think, I wish, I wish I hadn't gotten rid of my Wii. I, I still have my PlayStation. PlayStation 4? Is that the one I have? Yeah. And I, I, I kept the PlayStation, I guess, because it plays DVDs and Blu-rays, and the Wii does not. But I wish I had kept my Wii, uh, my Nintendo Wii, just for Wii Sports. The fact that you, you can, you have the controller, in your hand and you're swinging it and that's how you play tennis or you can play golf. I think he would really get into that. Um, like my dad, I think that would, that'd be something I would, I would enjoy that as well. I wonder how much that would be like those old video game consoles. Are they, are they expensive? 
like if you try and get your hands on a Super Nintendo, are they are they just like a dime a dozen and people are just trying to get rid of them cheap or are they actually like antiques and vintage and I don't know. I wouldn't want to spend a lot of money on one, but if I could pick up a Wii with Wii Sports and some controllers for, oh, I, I don't know, um, like 50 bucks, less than that, I probably would consider it. I think the amount of entertainment you would get out of that, I mean, it would be end up being amortized over several hours of joy. I wonder. I don't know where... Or even go for something like that. Actually, there might be a place in Utica that does video games that might have something like that. Start calling around. Yeah, but I missed the Wii. The Wii was a good one. That was definitely Mario Kart and probably some other games I'm not thinking of. Video games are... I don't know, it, it's hit or miss like anything. That's the thing, is when you get into something like video games, not a video game, but if you're if you're just collectively into video games, you have to sort of accept that a lot of the stuff you're going to go out and buy, or I guess everything's downloadable now, everything that you, most of the things that you buy, or you're not going to get that in, you're not going to get into them. You're not going to like them that much. So the thing is, I get discouraged because I, I buy a console and I know I'm going to like something like Mario Kart, so I get that. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go out and buy like a stack of other games. And I, I, you try and find something that looks good in the store. I buy like three or four things that are kind of cheap. And they're really not that, that good. Like you don't, you just can't get into them. They're not well made. And so it's, that's when I get discouraged. I'm like, well, I'm not buying any more games. I'm not sinking any more money into this thing. You know, I got Mario Kart. That's good enough. I just, I don't want to like throw money away on like 12 games to find one other one that I really like. You know, every hobby, you know, requires some waste. It just, is it is the waste worth it? And at some point I realized it's not worth my time and it's not worth the expense. So just... I play what I like, and that's, that is that. I just went to Target, actually the Target that I was sitting outside of last week. I actually went in this week because I wanted to buy some essential oils. I'm really into... I wouldn't say aromatherapy, but I do like, I have an essential oil diffuser and I let that thing run. You know, most days when I was in San Francisco, especially during shelter in place, like I was basically waking up and starting that thing while the water was heating up to make my coffee. You know, I'd pick a scent like, well, today's an orange day or today's a whatever, you know, something woodsy. When it comes to odors, I like the woods and not nothing flowery. But, you know, I, it's, it's, I don't know anything about aromatherapy. I don't even know if there's anything to aromatherapy. I'm kind of curious about that. But I just think it's kind of like salt. 
you can definitely eat food without salt and it's just fine. You know, you can, you can exist. I can sit in a room with a laptop and work all day without having some, something diffusing a scent into the air. It's just fine. But it's kind of nice. It's a nice touch. You know, sometimes it's just like you, you go, you leave the room for a second, go get something to eat or drink and you come back and I, oh, oh yeah, the room smells like this really pleasant thing, this odor that I like. You just savor it. It livens your senses for a second. It just hits you. I don't know what it is. I enjoy it. Yeah, I don't know about its physical benefits. I do wonder though. Certainly wouldn't say I don't uh, believe in aromatherapy. I've, so here's what I've come to. Try and be as scientific as possible. It surprises me how many, how many actual scientists I've met in my day who are not actually that scientific in their approach to the world. They, they seem to accept things without really testing them. And they seem to reject things without knowing a single thing about them. And I think that's just human nature. That's not to say, you know, science. There's something wrong with science. Uh, there isn't. As far as I can tell, it's probably the best mindset we have for collectively managing a society. But, you know, if I meet somebody and they say something like, Here's what I've learned to do. Like, this is not me, you know, five or even maybe like two years ago or even a year ago. A subject of like astrology comes up or, or aromatherapy, you know, or yoga, something, something that's like new agey. And some people will just say, well, that's obviously just horse shit. There's nothing to that. Why are you wasting your time? So the question I now come back with at this point is, well, if I hear somebody say that, I say, well, what can you teach me? What can you tell me about that subject? Astrology is all bullshit, man. Really? Okay, so tell me about astrology, because I don't know anything about it. Explain it to me. And if the person says, like, well, I, I don't know, there's no reason to learn anything about it, because it's obviously bullshit. Like on its face, you can just make that determination. That is what I have learned to be very, very cautious about treading into. You know, I don't like that mentality. The idea that you can just reject something because by its own reputation, you know, you know it's silly. How can you, how could you reject something without looking into it and learning about it. And I'm not saying you've got to look into everything. Like there's only so many hours in the day, right? We only get so many years. You can't waste your time, you know, actively looking into everything. If you don't know, you don't know. I think it's fine to say you don't know. It's better to say, I'm not sure than to like make up some reasons why something is a waste of time. Anyway, that's my that's my two cents. That's my soapbox point for this little uh, podcast. Probably not the last one. I like I like my my soapbox. I really should just call this this podcast the soapbox, like Jim's Jim's soapbox. I get up on a 
just start ranting about this or that. I went to Meyer yesterday. That's right. These are all the stories I have, people. I went out to a particular store or something happened to me at home. It's not going to get any better than this, right? If you're still listening, just letting you know this doesn't improve. It's raining now. This is pleasant. At least it's warm enough to rain. It's now November in Michigan. We put the Christmas lights up um, yesterday in my parents' house. And it was not as cold as it was a couple weeks ago. But it was cold. It's uh, it's chilly outside on the average now. It's, uh, so the fact that it's raining... Like I'm sitting in my car and I can just listening to the drops patter on the roof. It's warm enough to be raining instead of hailing or, you know, snowing. That's great. I'll take it. At least I got some more warm I can hold up. Anyway, yes, went to went to Meyer yesterday. Uh, for much the same reason that I went to Target today. I kind of went off on a tangent. I always start with something simple. Here's an innocuous story. I went to Target, and then it goes into, you know, here's why I think people are dumb. Got to stop doing that. But I, because I was into, how did I, where did I, how did I get off the tangent? Or how did I get off the point and onto a tangent? It's because I was talking about scents, like the essential oil diffuser. Right. Right. A couple of years ago, it was candles. I've come to realize that candles are somewhat risky. You know, you're essentially setting something on fire if you leave it burning by accident. And I don't trust myself not to do that. Uh, it could be a real problem. So I, I use the essential oil diffuser now. But I went into Target this morning just to get some, uh, they have some balsam fir essential oil you can diffuse. It smells like a Christmas tree. And I absolutely love that. I used to be really into those Christmas tree scented candles. Uh, one of my exes, like um, somebody I was dating 10 years ago, she used to hate those things. They used to give her headaches. Uh, she hated those candles. You'd burn them, they'd, they'd I like, I like the smell of Christmas tree. I love that smell. I try not to do it all year round because I don't want it to lose its value, but I love that, that sort of conifer evergreen uh, smell. You know, it, and I think balsam fir is the one that I like the most. Uh, what is balsam? Is balsam a kind of wood and fir is the kind of tree? So I think I like fir. I don't know how the balsam really amalgamates with it. But anyway, uh, there's a there's a variety of essential oil, uh, the balsam fir the Target has that I haven't found anywhere else. Uh, I, I like the woodsy sort of odors, the candles, the oils. I like the woodsy ones, but those are hard to come by. It's hard to find ones that I really enjoy. I'll tell you, if you can do this, I'm a customer for you. Uh, for life. The smell of bonfire. Two years ago, I was going around everywhere I could. Like I had, I, I needed to like just come up with something to do. And it was Christmas time. 
uh, in San Francisco, my first fall in San Francisco. Didn't really know anyone, so I just started going shopping. And I went everywhere in the city that might conceivably have candles. Uh, any chain store, any small little mom and pop shop, what, what few exist in San Francisco still. And I, I was asking for a candle, uh, that smelled like bonfire. I was like, I basically want to burn this thing and I want it to smell like, like that smoky, woodsy odor. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the essence of bonfire is, but I was like, I want to burn a candle and have that scent just fill my place. And to be honest, I, I did not find that. I went in and asked, I don't know how many people. And every single person I talked to in a store was like, well, that, that's a great idea, but I don't think we have anything even remotely like that. The closest thing I found was like something at Whole Foods. It was a little, little candle that actually did smell like fire. Uh, it smelled like kind of a, it had a kind of a smoky smell to it, but I wouldn't say it was bonfire, uh, specifically. So yeah, if you're out there and you're a candle maker or you, you know, something about this. Uh, there's my, there's my um, million dollar idea. This reminds me of the episode of The Office, like Michael, it was when the, the people finally went over to a house party uh, from, from Michael Scott and he takes them into the, he takes, who is it? Andy Bernard and Jim, I think it is into his garage and starts trying to like get them to invest in his wife's scented candle business. Did you know that scented candles are a, an X billion dollar industry? And Jim just cuts them off right at the head. It's like, are you really going to try and do this? <laughs> candles of all. Oh, it's great. Anyways, yes, so stopped doing candles. Now doing the oils, going around, and I, I stocked up. I actually braved the stores. I went in and dealt with all the the miserable people who are not keeping six feet of distance from you. They just sort of stumble into your personal space if you're in their way. And stocked up. I am now ready to diffuse for the next several months. I also bought one of those travel coffee mugs uh, for myself, mostly for the house. I know it's just like I, I drink enough coffee, just hot beverages all day that it's a matter of time before I'm somewhere in a room with carpets and I spill one of these damn things. So I got myself a little travel thermos that uh, you know, it, you have to push a button and open it up and that's a fairly nice one, but I'm sitting here drinking it and I can taste the coffee is tainted with the taste of whatever metal is inside of it. This is the problem with uh, travel mugs. Everyone I've ever had has somehow leached some sort of extra flavor into the coffee. And I, this was, this was true even 10 years ago. I remember like, yeah, 2010. Christmas, like buying one of these travel mugs. And I had trouble using it because whatever coffee I was drinking, I would put it in there and it would taste different than it would taste coming out of a ceramic mug. 
And I did not have a very refined palate 10 years ago. Now I'm a little bit more conscious of tastes. A little bit more discerning. But 10 years ago, the fact that I could, I could sense it and it was bothering me means that it, there's, must really be a problem. Yeah. That's the coffee I've come to know and love, but there's a sudden metallic taste because the inside is metal. Maybe, I don't know. It must be ceramic is the only thing that doesn't leach into coffee. It doesn't leach some extra flavor into coffee. Is that it? I know you can get travel mugs that are actually made of ceramic. I think I've seen them. I think I've seen them at Starbucks. But in my mind, having a ceramic travel mug, it kind of defeats the point of a travel mug. Uh, this is something I've, if you have a travel mug, this is something I plan on carting around with me many places. And if it's ceramic, I'm eventually going to drop it and it's going to break. Like eventually I'm going to drop this thing and it's going to be, it's just going to get dented because it's metal. Maybe that's the answer though. I just need a, God, what am I talking about here? I'm talking about this talking about what's right in front of my face. I'm sitting here drinking this coffee out of a trail. Let me talk about this travel mug I just got. You know, it's fine. The little things, it's the little things. It's the little things that make up life. We don't always gotta be talking about the serious, deep stuff, right? That gets old. What else is going on? God, my brain always goes, like, there's, there's an old expression that says something akin to the human brain goes a mile a minute. Like, from the moment you're born to the moment you die, it's just constantly spewing out thoughts, ideas. It just never shuts up until you get in, up in front of a, an audience and you're required to speak. That's precisely what this is. I drive around in my car now, and I just, there's just thoughts, ideas pouring out of me. Not good ones, but there's always something. There's always some chatter going on. As soon as I turn on this damn thing to, you know, start talking, it's 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 kind of like you go into a room and turn on a light and like just there's the cockroaches scatter. The thoughts just run away as soon as the light of day, the light of an audience comes on. I don't know if I'm actually going to go. I'm sitting outside this bookstore here. I don't know if I'm actually going to go inside. I may have to go inside just to use the restroom. But I really don't want to don't want to go in and shop. I'm really kind of tired of going into bookstores. I've kind of come to the realization that I own enough books. I have enough to read. I don't need anything new. I just need to read what I have. Which is the human impulse. Like, go out and get more, you know, not to be content with what you have. All right, it is really raining right now. Look at that smell of, the smell of fresh cut grass as well on a summer day. 
If they could put that into a candle, I think I would burn it. There's got to be some kind of oil that would, that would smell like that if you diffused it. And the smell of the world after the rain. Like after a rain comes and everything's... This, I guess this would be summertime, but the way the, the world smells... There are definitely plenty of candles out there. Scented candles, where if you... The name is something like rain, like summer rain or some, something rain. But it's always something floral. They're just they're just packaging the same, I would guess, roughly dozen or so floral scents that are common under like different names, mixing them in different proportions. Like, yeah, this smells like the world after it rains. Not really. I guess that's what people want. I don't want what most people want. See, that's my problem. I I know that I talk a great deal about religion. I'm not going to do that here. But I, I had a thought this morning. I realized that at some point I, tr- I tried to be a practicing Christian. Like I was like, okay, let's just give this a trial run. I got to know for myself if this is for me or not. You know, don't just take it on the authority of anyone else, but figure it out for yourself. And I really don't think I'm I can't, with a straight face, call myself Christian in the way that most Christians would think of themselves. You know, I, I don't think it was. It was interesting. It was fascinating. It was stimulating. Like reading the Bible, all these new ideas, a lot of which I was already familiar with because they're just in the culture. But after about six months, I kind of got bored with it. I was like, okay, I think I get the ideas. Like they're all, they're all there. And they just are being repeated ad nauseum out in, out in the community. And that's, that's, I guess what I'm saying. Like, why do, why don't I go to church? I found church to be overwhelmingly boring. It's not inspired. It's, it's basically the same everywhere. It's the same stuff being regurgitated. I, I would guess it has been roughly the same for a couple thousand years, but I went around to a bunch of different churches, listened to sermons. There was nothing inspired. There was nothing even remotely interesting. It just wasn't engaging me. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying it wasn't for me. I think it's kind of like reality TV. Now, I'm not one of those people who says I hate reality TV because it's anti, you know, it's unintellectual and it's destroying our collective minds or whatever people say pretentiously about it. I don't like reality TV. Um, I don't care much for reality TV because it doesn't engage me. It's not my thing. If I'm going to sit there and watch a screen, I'm kind of conscious of what something is doing to my brain. And I'm not saying it's like it, it would destroy my brain, but it's not, it's not engaging my brain. I'm like, I'm not interested in this. If this keeps going on the way it's been going on and most reality TV doesn't really change much it it bores me that's to say i don't want what most people want and there's nothing wrong with what most people want it's just if you find yourself on the fringes kind of not a conformist in the traditional sense it's it's kind of it's more difficult to find your place in the world
I don't think I would have it any other way. I don't think I would wish that were different. I think if you're, if you're into things that most other people are into, there are certain things in life that are easier, certain things that are harder. And I think there are certain things for me as kind of a lone individual who just goes my own way, always seeking novelty, doesn't want to get nailed down into any sort of consistent, well-defined identity. There are things that are, that are great about that. I would, I would not wish to change, despite the difficulties that they come with. <sighs> this coffee ain't so bad, actually. The metal taste, I think it's kind of blending into the background. Like I'm starting to ignore it. I, now what's what's sticking out to me is just the the mainstay of the coffee that I like. Particular Phil's blend that I enjoy. Ah. ah, just had to check my Got a text, I just checked my phone, it's just Verizon telling me I owe them money. Like some sort of pimp. I honestly think that's the that that is that is the answer uh to the whole religious question. Whatever it is I say. Okay, here's the rule that I go by. I think it's attributed on the internet to a bunch of people. I don't know who actually said it. Uh, at some point, I, it doesn't even matter. But the idea is, and I, I, I've lived, I live by this so intensely now that I think that I've probably mentioned this before, but the quote goes something like, uh, follow those who are seeking the truth and run from those who claim that they have found it. Can you all hear that? The range is really coming down now. This is... I don't know how much ambient noise that's generating. Oh, it's hail. I'm getting hit with hail. Wow, this is... Whew. There are people who just got caught in this halfway from their cars to the store. It is not a pretty sight. This is intense. You know how you get splashed with like car in a car wash? It's just like this massive, massive uh, stream of water. It's like that's hitting everywhere right now. Yeah, I gotta say, I have not experienced precipitation like this uh, since um, it's almost like Arizona. I don't know if you guys have been to if you've ever been to like Southern Arizona, like I'm familiar with Tucson. I've spent a lot of years collectively in that city. And it's dry there. It is dry and hot. But when it rains, man, it rains. Like if you're driving around, you'll see signs in the city that say there's 
there's a dip coming up ahead, but do not enter when flooded. There are like empty rivers that are channeled around the city, like just through neighborhoods, bridges that go over them. And when there's, when it rains, there's basically so much water that falls so quickly in so short a period of time that these, these, I don't know what you call them, these, these tributaries, these artificial man-made tributaries for channeling water just fill up and start raging with water. And some of them cross roads. There's no bridges. So you just, you're not supposed to drive into them because they, it's several feet deep of water that you might actually get stuck in if you tried to drive through it. Oh, we got some lightning and we got thunder. This is a real, this is a party. Is it dangerous to sit in your car when there's lightning? If, you, if you're in your car and it gets struck, is that bad? Ah. Oh. Okay. This is something. I'm going to have to let you go. I'll be back in a bit. Okay, people, where, where was I? Um, yeah, Arizona. The rain died down a bit. But yeah, you wouldn't expect it, being that it's the desert. It's so dry all the time. But the thing is, when the rain is coming, when you see the storm clouds on the horizon, people are like putting boards over their windows. It comes down hard. That's the way it was just raining here. Pretty nice. It's kind of nice just sitting out in the middle of that. In the middle of a rainstorm. Just a little bit of thunder, a little bit of lightning. Not too crazy. It's enjoyable. Like You can actually buy CDs, but people don't buy CDs. You can buy audio clips. You can buy, in some form, audio of just, you know, the rain falling for 60 minutes. The sounds of a gentle thunderstorm. You can buy that for meditative purposes. Uh, you can get that for free if you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, so I was building to something when the rain interceded. Right. Yes. Questions of personal religion, personal faith. The quote I live by is, follow those who are seeking the truth, run from those who claim that they have found it. I think it's a personal matter. You shouldn't listen to what anyone says not what anyone says. You shouldn't go to church and just listen to what they're saying. You shouldn't go listen to like Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris or one of those, you know, new atheists and listen to what they say and say, okay, this is it. This is the answer. The whole point is you got to like figure these things out for yourself and you got to look for yourself. You have to seek. You have to constantly be seeking. If you think you find an answer, find another question and seek another answer. That's what it's all about. You got to do it. There's no getting around it. The road to hell is paved with laziness. I'm just saying, okay, I've got it figured out. I'm going to coast on this information that I think I've obtained. You got to know. 
the thing is, I think there's actually some truth in everything. It's just there, there's a scientific question even in stuff that people would dismiss as being pseudoscientific. For example, uh, the question of aliens. Now, I, there's something there. Now, I'm not saying I am one of those, um, would you say, Area 51 conspiracy theorists. Like, do I think that the United States government has little Martian men holed up in a lab somewhere because we found them in Roswell, New Mexico back in the 50s or whatever, whatever the, that story is? I doubt it. I'm not saying it isn't true, but I, I sincerely doubt that it's true. I think. I just think think things like that are too detailed and they're they're probably overstated. I don't think again, I can't say it isn't true, but that seems to be unlikely. But now the question of aliens um let's not say aliens, let's say extraterrestrial visitors, which is to say let's break it down to People see things in the sky and they think that they are visitors from other worlds. What is there to that? There are definitely common elements to all of these accounts. And somebody who's claiming to be scientific might make the argument that, well, there was one person at some point in the past who just decided to make up some sort of alien story. Like they, they saw a flying saucer in the sky it beamed them up with some light into the ship. It probed their anus. You know, little Martian men messed with them. Parts of their anatomy that we think are very personal. And then it put them back down in their, in their bed. And they woke up with like dim recollections of the, like somebody made that up. Like they, somebody sat down and thought up this idea and put the story out there. And a bunch of other people somehow caught wind of it and said, well, that that makes sense. Those details sound credible, so I'm just going to use those same details in my own fake story. One, I don't think people are that dishonest. I'm not saying people are honest, people do make stuff up, but I think people who tell these sorts of stories most of them believe that they are telling the truth. And so it's not so much that I believe in aliens. The question is, what is the scientific question there? What, why is it that so many people are taken with this idea of there being extraterrestrial beings? You know, I, I think that there are elements to the stories that are common. And it's not just because they, they came from one place. I think it's because there, there is some underlying thing there which may be all just in the human brain. And I, I don't know what it is, but I, I think there's something there. You know, usually I fall short of just rejecting it outright and saying, well, there's nothing there. You know, people are just making these things up because they're bored or stupid. And it isn't the crazy detailed conspiracy theories that you hear. There's something in the middle. Now, I think that's, I think it's the same thing, and I'm not saying that uh, religion is like uh, UFOs or aliens, but the whole idea is, is there life after death? I don't know. I don't think anybody can know. 
I don't, I don't think that is something that is fundamentally within our, within our grasp epistemologically. We can't have an answer to that question. Now, does that mean it's not important to ask? Uh, that's a different question. That is one thing I think is important to seek for yourself. Is it good to believe in an afterlife? Well, the thing is, it's similar to the UFOs. It's the same question for me. Do I believe the official story that is put forth? Do I believe that there is a place where you're up in the clouds playing a harp? Or you go to another place where you're burning for all eternity? Um, again, the official story is, I think, probably inaccurate in the details. I think it's it's what people just sort of latch onto because you can't have a fuzzy explanation. You can't just say there's life after death, but we don't know what it is. There has to be something that's well-documented, something people can latch onto, something concrete. But it's like the aliens. If you latch onto the Roswell Area 51 story, you're missing the point. That thing is probably not literally true, but there's something there. And the reason I confront this question now is because I'm thinking of my own father, who the last real conversation I had with him before these elements of dementia crept in was about five years ago now. And he was driving me to the airport and I had just gotten out of a 12 year relationship and like the reality of that had just hit me. So I was not in a good place to say the very least on this car ride. And he was, I don't know if he was aware of it and just ignoring it because he was hoping to cheer me up or if he was oblivious to it. I, I don't know, but he was just talking about his glory days. Like he, he liked to do. He liked to talk about when he, things that he did when he was in his, you know, his college years and shortly thereafter. He always talked about that. He talked about it so fondly. And I think this is, this is what happens to people when they get older and they don't believe that there's anything coming. If you really think that the last 10, 20, 30 years of your life are just you winding down without any real purpose, with no value, to contribute to society. There's nothing you should be doing. If you don't feel that you lived your younger years properly, you're going to pine for them. I think there was some fundamental dissatisfaction. And he thought, I had one shot when I was younger to do what I was supposed to do, and I missed it. I don't, I don't, I, I can't be sure of that, but that's the impression I get. That's the way I think a lot of people who are older in advancing years, I think that's the way they feel. And if you don't believe anything's coming, if you think you die and that's it, and you think that being young is basically vastly superior to being old, the point is you do what you're supposed to do and then you just sort of sit around waiting to die, I think that's a very bleak existence. And so is there anything after death? I don't know. I think the question should be asked. You should figure out what it is you 
disbelief. Don't listen to the official story, but don't just write it off as being an irrelevant question. I don't think anything that affects our experience here on Earth, that affects the way we look at the world, that affects our level of happiness at any point, I don't think those are irrelevant questions. So I don't know what comes after death, but it's, it's, it's similar to, it's similar to the aromatherapy. It's similar to me diffusing oils. You know, does it, is it doing anything for me? I don't know, but it certainly brightens my mood. Now, of course, I don't, I don't have any dogma where I say, well, because I do aromatherapy and I enjoy it, everyone else should believe it's right for them and they should do it. This is where religion falls down. This is precisely where religion falls down because it's a, it's a collective idea. It's a group, it's a community of people, but it's supposed to be an individual experience. Once it becomes part of an institution, then it's confined to what an institution is capable of doing for an individual, which is limited. Jung once wrote quite wisely that the point of religion is to block religious experiences in the individual. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. You got to just figure things out for yourself. You got to ask the questions. And this is again me on the soapbox. I'm back up on the soapbox. How did I get onto this? Retrace my steps. Go back through them. You know. Kind of step back over them backwards like uh, little Danny Torrance did in the end of The Shining. I throw them off the scent. Where was I? It doesn't really matter where I was. The question is, where am I going? That's always the question. I'm always asking that. I'm always like talking out loud to myself as though anyone's listening. And I'm thinking to myself, where was I? How do I double back and get to where I branched off in this conversation to where I was. It doesn't matter. The past doesn't matter. Occasionally my mind drifts towards San Francisco and I, I got to go back in that direction just to get my stuff that's crammed in a storage locker somewhere. But, but I don't have to go back there just because I came from there. But a past experience that we've lived always makes for a more appealing potential future just because it is concrete. I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's, is there any reason I would go into this bookstore? Right now, I can't think of anything that I really need or want to look for. I think I'm good. It's a good feeling just having everything you need. I actually went looking for one of those uh, Christmas light projectors. That's the other thing I went to Target for. Uh, where you can just like stick something in the ground and you plug it in and it just sprays a bunch of lights onto whatever you pointed at. If if I had a house, that's pretty much how I would decorate it. I would just get a bunch of those and point them around my house. And like, look, my house is covered in lights. 
just the laziest thing you could possibly do. That's what I did in my apartment. I think I did that. I did that two years ago. I don't think I did it the last year, but just got one of those things, a little tiny one, stuck it on the top of a bookcase and just spread it on the ceiling. So I would like flip a switch and then boom, you'd have just the lights covered in like red and green points of light. That was the only decorating I did for Christmas two years ago. It was the laziest thing. Just don't have to worry about hanging up lights, using tape that peels the paint or, you know, nailing nails into things. It was just simple, easy. But I was thinking, you know, it might be nice to compliment the lights that my parents have with one of those. I could just get one of those things. And there's, there's places in our, in the, in their house where you could just set it up and it would just, you know, project a bunch of lights onto the ceiling or onto a room. Well, I think it would it would make sense to have that. It would add it would be a nice touch of ambiance. The only ones I could find though were much more than I wanted to spend. Uh, the one I had in San Francisco was cheap. It was like fifteen or twenty bucks, and it was it was perfect. The ones that they had it you know just now were like closer to fifty or sixty. It's like well for one Christmas season for something I'm not even sure my parents are going to go for. Yeah, it's a little bit too high risk. I'm not gonna not gonna chance it. I a squirrel. I'm watching the squirrels run around outside this bookstore. I love how fat they get. About six years ago, uh, I was living in Ann Arbor uh, for a winter, and we moved there like in this in end of summer, and so like for fall, we got a bunch of those little tiny mini pumpkins, little decorative squashes, and put them out on our back. Uh, patio kind of facing the woods and they started disappearing one by one I kind of just thought the wind was blowing them over but one day I looked out and I saw like a squirrel sitting there like picking one up and eating it like a cheeseburger and at some point he just he just put it in his mouth clamped down his teeth and he ran off with it and I was like oh those things are being stolen And so they all just kind of gradually disappeared. And so we, uh, me and my girlfriend at the time, we were like really taken with these squirrels. Uh, we were both working from home uh, for companies in California. And so we were just home all day. And so the squirrels were one major source of entertainment. So we started putting out bird seed and pumpkins and whatever else just to try and get just to get, try and get them to come around so we can like watch them. And we noticed that like, as the winter got colder, like the squirrels that were coming around to eat the stuff we were putting out for them were getting really, really fat. And we kind of wondered if we were doing it. At least I remember wondering that. I was like, we, if we're putting out pumpkins and stuff for these squirrels to eat, like if we're intentionally putting out bird seed, for the express purpose of letting squirrels eat it. Are we fattening them up? And it turns out, no, like squirrels just 
at least the ones in Michigan, they just get fat in the wintertime. They put on layers of blubber, I guess, to protect them from the cold or to shore up calories that they can consume while they can't, they don't have ready access to other food. Anyway, I'm watching the squirrels run around outside of this uh, bookstore and they're looking, they're looking awfully winter fat. They got that November, they, they got that November chub starting to come in, wind them protectively. Squirrels are pretty cute, I think. I don't know if you're, maybe you're, I wonder if you're supposed to feed them. There's, I don't think you're supposed to feed any wildlife. I think that's generally discouraged by anybody who knows anything about zoology. I'd have to say this in the case of the squirrels that they started, we just put out some decorations and they started eating them. Although at the, at the, by the end of our tenure in Michigan, like March, April, like we were working on getting our stuff together to move back to California. And at that point, I just remember our entire back deck, which we weren't using because the, the weather was still cold out, was just covered in bird seed. Like we kind of realized that squirrels are sort of skittish around each other. Like they'll sort of interact with one another, but they're not friendly. I mean, I, I don't think they, they don't form friendships, but they, they, they will kind of pal around with each other. They'll play around. They'll horse around, I guess is what I would say. But they're, they're not, they, they don't all come together in groups and, you know, have, have feasts. They don't share food. They're very lone creatures uh, who keep other squirrels at an arm's length. So we realized if we put out some food, there was only one squirrel there at a time. And, you know, another squirrel might come along. But that squirrel would, if another squirrel came along, like basically the stronger of the two, the alpha would end up chasing the other one away. It would end up eating. And squirrels would kind of like take turns doing this. Like, I don't know what it was if they were doing it intentionally, but one of them would sit there and eat and another one come along and like strong arm the other one out. Like it would just sort of chase it away. And the other one who just got chased away, the original squirrel would just sit there in the corner while the other one ate. And eventually he would come by and like attack the squirrel that was eating. And the other one would run away and retreat. So they would just, they would take turns attacking each other and retreating. And I, I, I've always wondered why that was. Were they, was that their way of sharing without being too cooperative? But anyway, we realized that if we spread out the bird seed on this back deck, which is pretty sizable. If we put like a pile here and a pile there, then you could maximize the number of squirrels that were on the deck uh, at any given time. So, <laughs> so at some point I do remember like the entire back deck, the table, chairs, everything just had bird seed all over it. The railing was just covered in patches of bird seed. And I think the record was maybe nine or 10 squirrels at a time. And that was, I always was really, I was really entertained by that because they would, again, it was kind of tense. They're all sort of like eating in their own little 
corners, but they're all aware of each other. And they kind of get jealous of each other's piles and they'll chase each other. And one time I saw a squirrel like lunge at another one. The one that was being attacked was so scared that it just jumped. It jumped and did this crazy flip like it spiraled in the air like a helicopter propeller uh, off the railing down to the ground below. It was the funniest goddamn thing I'd ever seen. I wish I had gotten that on tape. I've never seen anything like that. Uh, but I just fell over. I just started dying laughing. Even now, it's the funniest visual. And I, I, I do wonder, I think I've mentioned this before, but it was, it was that we left behind, you know, up to our last day living in that condo with that deck. Uh, we had birdseed just covering it and squirrels were there all day. And I, I wonder, like, I remember like we, the day we moved out, taking a broom and going out there and saying, well, I got to clear this off. Let's just get rid of all the bird seed. Whoever moved in right after us, I have no idea what they would have experienced, but I, I imagine there was like just a bunch of squirrels like hanging out, like just, I don't know how many dozens of them showing up all day. Uh, just saying, hey, where's the food? This used to be a pretty good spot for us. And they're just coming in and peeking in. And the people who just moved in are like, what the hell is with all these squirrels? I, I wish I could have could have been there. Just It probably wasn't as pronounced as I'm thinking. They probably just, squirrels learn pretty quickly. Oh, there's nothing to eat. Let's get the hell out of here. Ah. Anyway, squirrels are pretty adorable, gotta say. I'm enjoying watching them. Hmm, that is like, it has rained. Definitely was going to rain today. The weather forecast yesterday said that there was a 100% chance of rain. Now I gotta say that's confidence from a meteorologist for people who are attempting to make predictions about something that is so subject to chaos theory as the weather. Uh, I'm not 100% certain of anything, even things that I'm pretty sure about. They were 100% sure it was gonna rain today. I wonder what it takes to get you that level of certainty if you're a weatherman. Like we know. We know it's going to rain. There's no doubt in our minds. Like, really, the wind can't change direction? Like, there's nothing that can possibly shift and alter the course of of history? How do you know that? They ended up being right, though, man. It rained. It rained like a... like a mofo. Well, that's definitely past us. That was a half an hour ago, and now it's blue sky with a lot of clouds in it. Not quite direct sunshine, but it is definitely... It feels like a whole different day right now. Or the expression in Michigan, say if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes, it'll change. Never heard anybody say the opposite. If you really like the weather... 
you're enjoying it, give it five minutes. It's going to mess with your head. It does fluctuate. I think that's the, that's the lakes. Yeah, the thing is, I'm looking at this bookstore. Actually, they have a, they have a puzzle and game section. I wonder if there would be anything worth going in there for that. I know my, my dad likes puzzles. It'd be nice to go browse some of those. And I'm not sure we have enough games for the winter. Although it's hard to say what kind of games my parents would get into. Those long, long form strategy games, stuff like Risk. Even something like Monopoly, I think those are a little bit too involved. It has to be like just the right level of complicated to be engaging, but not so complex that it's overwhelming and impossible to, for you know a simpler mind to grasp. And there's not many things that fall into that particular space that meet that particular set of criteria. Uh, set is a good one. I discovered that set is something you can put out and my parents will get into it. Same thing with spotted. It's like there's a simple concept uh, with some cards that, you know, you can build a game around. I don't know. I actually saw, I saw a Simon in Target today. It's like that thing with four big buttons on it, four different colors. And it will like flash a pattern at you. It'll build it up, flash one button, then one, two, then one, two, three. It'll just mix up the buttons and you have to like repeat the pattern back to it. And you do that so long as you can remember. And eventually if you get it wrong, that's when the game ends. It seems like a, something that is simple enough and engaging enough that I think maybe my parents would be into it, but I don't know. It's really difficult to say. My brother is really into board games. He like, you know, he watches YouTube channels of people that are reviewing games and he'll, when I was at home for Christmas last year, he had just gotten uh, a new concept for a board game. He had crowdfunded on Kickstarter. It was a new one. It wasn't even in stores. Just somebody designed it and it was a really good game, but it was complicated. I remember we went to board game night with his friends and, it was the end of the night. People were like, I'm not sure if we want to keep playing this, like, games. It might be time to call it a night. And I was like, no, no, no. My brother just got this new one. we got to try it out. And I, I tried to explain the rules to them. Like, I, I wanted to have a stab at <clears throat> saying there's this complicated game. I want to, like, have a shot at trying to put into words for all of you what the rules are. And I failed miserably. Just wasn't, just didn't know it deeply enough. But you know, we ended up playing. It was a really interesting game. And there are some really interesting, complicated games out there. But most of those, most of those I probably wouldn't be that enthused about getting into. I'm not sure my parents would. My brother's really into, into board games. Kind of wish that uh, we could be doing things like... 
COVID is, I think, one of the main reasons. I'm not overseeing my my newborn nephew. Um, I guess he's not newborn. He's, uh, what, eight months old now, nine months? He's as old as the pandemic. But, uh, yeah, I'm not over hanging out with them with any regularity because it's risk. Every contact is risk. No. Uh, but I, I do wish I could go over there and like check out, check out some of his games, like play some board games with him. One thing I really want to learn, I think I got to learn this is chess. I know how to play chess, but I really don't know, uh, strategically how you go about playing that game. Somebody taught me chess at some point. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like play this game a lot, and eventually, whatever the secret is, you know, I'll I'll figure it out. I'll derive it. Uh, I eventually learned that that wasn't gonna happen. At some point, I was like, I I have no idea what I'm doing. I sit down, and I just get creamed, you know. So I came to the conclusion that if I wanted to play chess, I was going to have to study it. And I was like, I really don't feel like doing that. If I'm going to invest energy into learning something, there's better things than than chess. I have one of those off days. I don't quite feel like my brain is at 100%. I'd say it is time to drive. Let's hit the road. I love this. This is uh, this is pandemic hobbies. What did you do today? Well, I went to a I went to a store and sat outside of it. Just people watched for two hours. Went to another store, did some more people watching, and then I went home. I didn't go in anywhere. Yeah, let's see. Is there anyone else I want to go? I'm over here. When I'm at home, I'm always really anxious to go out. I'm like, yeah, I want to go drive somewhere and do some stuff but then as soon as i get out it's sort of the reality of there's this virus floating around is just front and center in my mind everywhere you go into there's a risk i kind of come up with it do i really want to go into a place for some non-essential to get something there goes some cans been cruising around with, I don't know how many dollars worth of, uh, returnables in my trunk and backseat for a, a while now. I keep, uh, going to Meyer to try and return them, but usually the machines are broken or they're at capacity, so they're not taking anymore. I think I talked about this last time. It's, it's, it's a struggle. It is a struggle. It's like you have to go back and check and you get lucky. You have to catch it on just the right day in order to like actually return these things. It's kind of 
I think under normal circumstances, it might be kind of annoying, but right now, for me, it's just a good reason to leave the house. Like, I'm going to go drive over to the store to return these cans and bottles. Turns out today I can't do it because they're closed. Hey, at least I got out and drove a few miles. You know, I got, I got some outdoors experience under my belt. You know, I did more than just sit at home today. Doesn't take much. Like the threshold of what stimulates me, keeps me entertained is, it's a pretty low bar now. Yeah, honestly, just driving, uh, this thing fell over. The can's rattling now. Hold on, this might get noisy. There we go. I haven't really talked about the election. I talked about the election last week. Fortunately, I haven't felt much of a compulsion to talk about that this week. I have a a book, uh, the first one by Bob Woodward about Donald Trump uh, in my backseat. I got it for free out of some bin. Uh, Fear. I got that a couple months ago. I was like, maybe I'll read this. And I I was kind of interested in reading his second one as well. I don't remember what that one's called. It came out a couple months ago. Has some interviews in there in which... uh, Donald Trump openly admitted to Bob Woodward, supposedly, I haven't read it, I've only heard things about it, that he knew how serious coronavirus was very early on. But he did not take it seriously. He publicly minimized the amount of risk that there was. And, of course, that... That was that itself was news. The fact that he had admitted this again, I don't know how much it was true. Wouldn't surprise me if it was. There was a lot of truth to it. I was interested in reading these things. Like I was like, I'd kind of like to get the straight dope. Um, somebody just sits down and interviews Trump. I want to know exactly what he's saying about himself, how he defends some of his actions. Maybe they make sense if you hear him explain them. Somehow I doubt it, but now that he's on his way out, I don't really care anymore. I'm kind of glad I didn't waste any time uh, learning more about him. He's he's going to be, well, he won't be president in a couple of months. I don't think we've seen the last of him. You know, I think, I think he has enough enough of a fan base that I think he'll be around for a little while in some capacity, in some non-negligible capacity, more precisely speaking. But um, for now, it uh, doesn't really matter, which is a good thing. I was actually reading the news this morning, and it was it kind of reminded me what the state of politics was in this country before we had Donald Trump. Like when Donald Trump got elected, as soon as he got in, it was the news cycle was just whatever he did that day, just constantly. 
There was always something new. It was, uh, you, you get poli-sci whiplash just trying to follow what the hell was going on. And it, uh, the article I read this morning was just saying like, uh, okay, well, Biden's going to take office. He made all of these promises uh, on the campaign trail, but, you know, he is going to have a real difficult time living up to these promises. How is he going to do it? And he just reading stuff that Biden is saying. And it's kind of like, yeah, this is what the country was like. I forgot this. There was a time when Trump wasn't president and the news was, you know, politically just sort of like, well, politicians said they want to do this. Not sure we can, not sure they can do it. And, you know, the president gets on TV and for the most part just is normal. Just sort of a normal, boring politician who's trying to just keep the wheels of government moving mechanistically it isn't like a reality TV show. It's like it's 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 a sense that everything's going to become, quote unquote, boring again. I think politics, you want politics to be boring. That is precisely. That's what I learned from the Trump presidency is you want you want politics to be something that you turn on and people are droning on about this or that. You don't quite understand it. And you're like, this is just not holding my attention. That's what tells you government is functioning normally. That's what you want. And as boring as it is, you want to pay attention because uh, it's, it's that kind of civic disengagement that's sort of like, well, this is boring. I don't think these people get me at all. That led to uh, the toxicity in our culture that got Donald Trump elected in the first place. I think I said this Here's the thing that, that's kind of occupying my mind. I said this last week, but Donald Trump isn't going away. And even if Donald Trump like kind of loses his, even if he sort of recedes into the background and we don't hear much from him anymore, he decides to just hang his head in shame. He's the, he's the guy who lost. He didn't get a bid for a second term of the presidency. Uh, the thing is, is that there's still a significant portion of this country that got out and voted for him. Uh, which means they either weren't aware of what he was doing, like they weren't paying attention, or they were aware of what he was doing, but they didn't think it was important enough to care. They thought it was immaterial to the question of whether or not to vote for him. That's a very large number of people in this country at the moment. And I don't like what that says about us. It, that, that sincerely worries me. I, I definitely think that that has implications beyond just who the president is. And I do wonder about, I wonder if this is really anything new. That's usually my objection to any sort of political, uh, somebody's complaining about things politically. They don't like Trump. They don't like so-and-so. They don't like whoever. It's like, this has probably happened before. I don't think anything that we face is really unprecedented. A case in point, if you look at how irresponsibly uh, President Trump and the government in general, 
the way the public handled its response collectively to coronavirus. If you look at the way it was handled like 100 years ago, the Spanish flu, when that hit in 1918, I think, we didn't do that better of a job. Like it was, we reacted just as abysmally. Our leadership handled it just as terribly then as we did now. Wherever you look in history, there's something, there's some parallel to what's going on now. And it tells you, you know, you don't have to react quite as heavily to this as you, you know, need to. But the mentality, the sort of, I don't know if toxicity is the right word. The word I've heard used, so I'm using it now for convenience, but whatever element in our culture allowed Trump to get elected, did that exist the way it does now at any point in our history. Like if, if there was somebody who was the 19th century equivalent of Donald Trump. And I, I, I wonder what that would be. I wonder if you could find somebody who was comparable by the standards of that day. If you found somebody who was similar whatever amounted to a reality TV star in that day, could they have gotten elected? Would American culture have allowed for somebody like that to sort of pry open you know, the door to getting elected as an official? If, if the answer is yes, then maybe this isn't something that's worth worrying about. But if the answer is no, if things are really, if culture is really sort of coming apart at the seams or fracturing so cynical, no belief in, in things that it would, if the idea was that things are so broken, we need to send Donald Trump in. If that's the collective mentality, that could be a problem long-term. I kind of wonder now, has this left a mark on things? Has this left a wound that doesn't quite heal? The thing is, I don't know who runs in 2024. I honestly don't think it will be Trump for the Republican ticket. Could be, but somehow I doubt it's, it's going to pan out that way. But whoever it is, I think the precedent has been set. Somebody like Donald Trump, somebody as unscrupulous and just somebody who lies with just just flippantly, what's the word I'm looking for? So say with extreme prejudice, that's not the expression. Somebody who just lies callously without thought to the consequence, just so clearly self-interested. I mean, it's out there now. Somebody like that can run and come become president. Somebody that outrageous I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like a Pandora's box. I don't think you put that genie back in the bottle. And so I don't know what that means. I, I, I'm not actively worried about the presidential election in 2024, but I do wonder what that means for, I wonder what happens now.
there was a part of me that, like I said last week, I think a lot of the current, what's currently going on in politics, in particular, people who are supportive of Trump and what he stands for and his agendas and what he's been talking about, I think it's very flavor of the moment. But what are those people going to latch on to next? You know, as soon as Trump is in president, they're looking for another thing to follow, another beacon to sort of hone in on and sort of, I don't know. I have trouble coming up with like words now, like just the simplest. Usually it's not simple. I can remember simple words, the more complicated ones, like the more subtle concepts, like circumnavigate. You could say circle or go around just as easily. But sometimes there are concepts where there isn't a simple, there isn't a simple alternative and you have to go for the complicated one. Those are the words that just don't come to my brain anymore. That's why I find writing easier. This has always been a problem for me, coming up with the, the perfect word. If you're writing, like if I'm doing this on a blog, I can just Google. I can just Google words. I can go into thesaurus.com and browse around until I find the one I want. In the moment, you know, on the, on the fly, you can't really do that. I can't just pause this and start Googling and say, hold on, found the word, throw it in there. But yeah, I thing is, I think there's something to worry about there. I think there is, I think there is a broader concern regarding the state of American politics and about American culture that led American politics to this place. I'm just not really sure what it is to worry about. I think there's a lot of noise. I think there's a lot of red herrings. And I, I think it's difficult to separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of what is a valid concern? What is something novel and new that actually don't really know. I started watching Atlas Shrugged this morning. Is that the one Anne Rand? Uh, but the, the movie's on Prime, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to start watching this because I know, I know a bunch of people that hate it. It's very divisive. People that love it and people that hate it. Uh, I didn't get very far into it. I found it to be very tedious, very boring. I kind of see where it's going. I'm familiar enough with the story. Like, okay, I see the ground that it's laying, but it's, it's, it's quite tedious to watch. It's not, it's not engaging in the way a story or a movie ought to be engaging. It's just sort of mechanically telling the story that's going to make a particular political point. And as much as I might think that there's merit to the political point, that alone doesn't make a good movie, you know, just because you have some sort of point or rhetoric you want to to spout, you know, there's some philosophical point you want to make. You can't just construct a story around that and, and expect that to, on its own to be interesting. Uh, that's, that is kind of what it feels like to me. Uh, I think a lot of people I've, I've heard say they hate it because they don't like the idea, the idea that, uh, you know, more government is evil. 
I did read one thing by Anne Rand, and I think it was Anthem. And that is a story written by, I don't even remember what the story is. All I remember is that whatever was going on, it's written by an individual who's writing in the first person, and the entire story they say, we. And the big revelation is towards the end of the book, they make a discovery, whoever this person is that's writing. They discover a new concept, a new word, which they describe as I. So the entire time they've been saying we to refer to themselves, but they're thinking of themselves as being part of a group. Their identity is basically inseparable from the group. And at the end, they come to the conclusion that, oh, you know, I actually am distinct. I have my own identity that's separate from other people. There was a book I'm, I'm currently reading on neuroscience. And it's about a lot of things, but the first half of the book covers neuroscience. And I was reading that there's people who have damage to the right frontal lobe of their brains. They exhibit certain symptoms that are similar to schizophrenics in that they sort of don't have a sense of where they begin and other people end. They sort of have this sense that when there's other people around, their personalities are spilling into their own personality or their their personalities are sort of flowing into other people's personalities. Like they don't understand that there are two distinct individuals. Now, I wonder about that. Like the ability for the brain to be damaged, like some part of our frontal cortex, like something that evolved in a much later stage in evolution that allows human beings to think critically. Some portion of that you damage, you get rid of, and suddenly we we can't think of ourselves as distinct individuals. We start seeing other people around us as blurring into us. I kind of wonder, like, so you damage the brain, you get rid of some faculty, that's suddenly the way that you start seeing the world. You start having a difficult time distinguishing who you are, where you end, and other people begin. Now, why is that even possible? Is it just because the wires get crossed and it's actually completely an error? Or is that just a more primitive way of viewing the world? Is it, is it the case that primitive man or maybe not primitive man, but primitive other things. Like, is it possible that alligators, like lizards, reptiles, like don't have a distinct sense of self? Is that actually what distinguishes them? And is there some point in our history where hominids like really don't see themselves as being distinct? They just, they are just thinking in terms of we. And the whole I thing is, is just a completely alien concept. I do wonder about this. I don't think it's just a simple matter of evolution. It, some of it might be cultural. I have talked about this before, but there are, there are, there are two different distinct kind of mythologies in the world. If you, if you study comparative mythology, some of them are hunter societies and some of them are planter societies, like agricultural societies. Now, agricultural societies are very collective. They're very much we. You do things 
for the benefit of the group. Uh, hunter mythologies are much more I. You know, individualism is encouraged. It's not discouraged as the way it is in planter societies. And you basically individualism ends up working out for the good of the group. You know, an individual, a strong individual is able to provide uh, for the for people in the group. Everybody sort of I, I imagine that's where specialization comes from. You know, everybody sort of becomes the best individual they can and it works out for the, the, the collect, best for the collective. Uh, and that's, that's, I could see echoes of that in the, in the Bible. So the Old Testament is very, very collective. Like you imagine the, the ancient Israelites, the Hebrews as being planters, uh, goat herders, uh, living in Canaan. And it's, you know, it's very collective. It's very, um, what is it? Honor thy mother and thy father. Like you are part of a group. You do what is right for the group. Basically identity is, tied up with the cultural identity. You know, we are God's chosen people. Uh, the New Testament is very, gets away from that. You know, what does Jesus say? I, I came to turn father against son, brother against sister. I came to divide households. No longer honor thy mother and thy father. It is go your own way. Do your own thing. Figure yourself out. I imagine that must have been a very radical idea. Like the discovery of consciousness, the idea that there is an I and that it does take pre preference over the we. So all this to say, I wonder. I don't actually know. Uh, where was I going? I feel like there was a point I meant... I was kind of aiming for, what was I talking about? Yeah, I guess it doesn't matter. But yeah, and, and Rand, uh, I would say that this, I probably won't continue watching Atlas Shrugged. Maybe if I get bored enough, I'll, I'll watch it. But it seems like the kind of movie that is boring just because it's one-sided. Like the thing is, so I guess a better example would be like Lost. In Lost, you had the character of Jack Shepard, who's a doctor, and he refuses to believe in any sort of superstitious hocus pocus. He thinks faith is silly. You know, it's all what a person can prove, what a person can see. And you had the opposing character of John Locke, who believed in faith and believed in the limits of Jack's view of seeing the world. And so a lot of the plot was driven around this conflict. It's not as though the story is taking a stand saying one position is right or the other. You read stories like that. Like there are, I've watched documentaries about atheism and documentaries about, you know, having faith the case for this or that religion and and they're boring because they're just taking one side of the issue and trying to make a case for it and i realize it's part of a more broad conversation but the really interesting really well written things particularly in the realm of fiction they don't just take 
one side of an issue and, 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 and hammer on it. Like, this is where I think Atlas Shrugged is probably heading. I think there are actually three movies that, that tell the whole story. Um, more government is bad. It becomes corrupt. You know, it, it, I think it's a very libertarian sort of argument. And I think there's, there's validity in that argument, but on its own, it's not, it's not alone an interesting, it's not on its own a valid position and it's not an interesting story to tell. Like, again, it's just a polemic. It's not actually art. It's, it is some sort of political science philosophy masquerading in the form of a, of a story. And I think when it's concocted by a single individual, when somebody sits down and says, here's the point I want to make, and I'm going to embed this idea in a story with no real literary craft or merit, that is to me the most insufferable thing. I can't, I can't get into that. It's different. At least like there's stories in mythology, like stuff like in the Bible, like those might be setting out to make a point, but they were put together by lots of people over many years. They were kind of curated from a lot of different writings. And so it's, it's not just a singular voice trying to make some singular point. There's even conflict. There's conflict in the Bible. Like it disagrees with itself. That's the whole point. Conflict is what keeps things alive. If for some reason you manage to work through all the conflict that's going on in your head, if you manage to eliminate that, you might as well be dead. So it's that, it's that inner tension. It's that tension among things of themselves that keeps things like bearable and, uh, and interesting. The spice of life. Anyway, I'm going to have to end this one. So as usual, happy pandemic, everyone. Wherever you are, I hope you're doing well. Take it easy. We'll talk again soon. But until then, be well and prosper.